Well, uh, good morning to you. My name's Trey. I'm one of the pastors here. We have four pastors on staff, and I'm one of them. Uh, last night, we had one crazy bonkers bash. Yes. Woohoo. Okay. I had 18 different chilies. I just want to give a shout out to uh, a few people. The Janomis, that's how I say it, right? The incredible chili. Incredible chili. What? That was the number one. Number two, Schultz's. Well done. Yes. Whoop, whoop. And then my man, Ira. Whoo, number three. Yeah. Yes. They did an incredible job. If you weren't there, um, I'm sorry. But it was super fun. I just want to say, everyone who volunteered, who went, who uh, put that on, thank you. That was amazing. I think that was an incredible expression of us being a church family and also being a place to welcome just our, our neighborhood and our community. Everybody was welcome. It was really cool and way too much candy. But follow Palooza. It was wonderful. So I have, uh, first I want to say this. If you're new, welcome. Um, if you've been coming for a while, welcome. Great to see you. Uh, but we're Redemption Church Arcadia. We're one church with 10 congregations. We're gospel-centered and outward-focused, and we believe that all of life, all of life is all for Jesus. We have these really cool t-shirts just in case um, you forget it, and you can just look down or look in the mirror. Anyway, um, I have two uh, announcements for us this morning. One is this. If you have kids, and you like other people to watch them so that you can go on dates... We do this cool ministry at our church where we watch your kids, and then you get three hours to go party. So if you want to drop your kids off and go on a Saturday Saturday night uh, movie, or maybe just get some dinner or bowling, because I like to bowl, you can do all of that. And uh, so November 13th, Saturday, 5 to 8. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to bring up is this. Frank and I are doing another membership class this Wednesday and next Wednesday. RSVP because we eat dinner together, but we also have uh, for the first week a conversation about the history of redemption, of Redemption Church Arcadia, and of Frank, which is kind of neat. Um, and then the second week, I kind of walk us through all of our doctrines. So all of our closed-handed convictions, all of our open-handed convictions, uh, so that'll be this Wednesday and next Wednesday, 6.30 to 7.45, right here. Uh, with all that being said, please stand for the reading of God's Word. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. 
abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. All right. Thanks, Elena. Good morning, Arcadia. Good to see you all. Um, regarding that uh, membership class um, uh, that, that starts this Wednesday, um, one of the things I really like about that class is that it does talk about um, and answers a lot of questions about the structure of Redemption Church, not just the history, but also the structure and how it is that 10 congregations exist together uh, what's centralized, what's decentralized, what we own, what they own. It's, it's really interesting. It would answer a lot of questions if you were wondering how uh, we're related. And, um, and if it doesn't answer any of your questions, at least you got some food. So please come. It would be great. Um, if, you're, if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you're here. My name is Frank. I'm one of the four pastors that's here. Uh, I have a couple of other um, quick announcements. I uh, just want to remind you that Thursday night, this coming Thursday night, at the Kluzman household is the Women's Fall Social, and so you need to re, uh, please RSVP for that. You also probably, if you are a woman, you probably got a, a handout today as you came in, um, but there's also a, 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 a screenshot of that up there as well, so look at that. And then um, we'd love for you to also participate this Saturday in our annual workday. Um, and by the way, it, it would be great to participate at this one because I think it's going to be our last annual workday because from now on it will be a semi-annual workday. So less work for you if you come this sun Saturday. I don't know how that works, but less work for you if you come this Saturday. And we're going to surround that 8 to 12 timing with some breakfast food and then a full lunch for everybody. So please RSVP for that. No matter what your talent is, no matter what skill you bring, we'd like to have you here. So even a guy like me that doesn't know how to do anything other than spray Roundup around the, uh, around the property, um, we'll find something for you to be able to do. But also, we'll have need for people who actually know how to do stuff. So uh, please sign up for that if you could. We've been working our way through the Gospel of John. And so we're in chapter 15. That's where Elena read from today. Uh, this is um, chapters 14 through 17 are the last night of Jesus' earthly ministry prior to his crucifixion. And chapters 14 through 17 give us uh, what I call Jesus' famous last words. And we are going to camp in chapter 15 on verses 1 through 11 today. So please, if you have your Bible, you have your phone, just open up to there. Yes, we'll have the words on the screen, but having it in front of you also so that you can check through things as we work through this passage is really, really helpful. And by way of introduction, I want to start about how, uh, I want to talk, start by talking about how chapter 14 ends. At the end of 14, Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. And so now, he and his ele now 11 at this point disciples are on the move, but as they're on the move, Jesus continues to teach and to talk. Some people think he specifically found a vineyard as they were walking and stopped and had this visual aid. Other people say that, that they know they were, that he was moving from the house to the Kidron Valley, and along that path to the Kidron Valley, there's, there's vines and vineyards everywhere. So maybe he just kept walking and talking at the same time because he could point it out. At any uh, rate, he had these visual aids that were helpful to him to help his disciples understand and the fact that this idea of 
of the vine and the gardener, the vine and the vine dresser, the vine and the branches was common teaching in their day anyway. So all of this was really uh, familiar uh, to them. So in chapter 15, before we get into 1 through 11, I want to give you an overview for the next two weeks, including this week. Chapter 15 can, in a sense, be divided into three parts where Jesus is talking about three different relationships. So 1 through 11, what we're looking at today, uh, Jesus is talking about the disciples' relationship to him. And that would include us uh, as disciples of Jesus. It would include how we also are to relate to him. Uh, next week, we'll look at the other two relationships that he talks about. In verses 12 through 17, he talks about the disciples' relationships to each other and that that must be rooted in love. And so we'll talk a little bit about our relationship also with each other in this faith community. And then from 18 through the rest of chapter 15, and even sort of spilling over into 16 just a little bit, he talks about a disciple's relationship with the world and how challenging that can be. So he's got these three relationships going. All three of these relationships that he's going to talk about in chapter 15 apply directly to us. And so this is great teaching for us as well. And for today, this illustration, this metaphor, this parable, whatever you want to call it, that he uses for the relationship of disciples to him is the vine and the branch. And one of the interesting things, as I said, about this teaching tool is that God used this, um, this scenario, this illustration, all throughout Scripture, the Old Testament, to describe his relationship with his people. In the Old Testament, especially in Psalms and Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, God is understood as the one who protects and provides for his people and his people are supposedly the vine. Israel is supposed to be the vine. Judah later, but his people are supposed to be the vine, and God is the gardener. He is the vine dresser, the arbor. He's the caretaker. Um, and, and yet, people tend to turn away from the vine dresser, the caretaker. His people constantly were turning away from him. If you look in the Old Testament, there is this pattern. There's this sort of reconciliation and restoration to God, and then they start to fall away. They sin. Uh, something really bad happens, like exile, remnant, those kinds of, Babylon, whatever, it, Assyria, whatever it might be. And then there's this sort of restoration proper process, this reconnecting to the gardener. So uh, what happens, though, when, they, when the people walk away from God, though, is that their connection with God is broken. The, the vine walks away from the gardener. If a vine doesn't have a gardener, if a plant doesn't have a gardener, a caretaker, and is left to its own devices, it's not going to do well. It's going to overgrow. Parts of it are going to die. Other parts that are alive aren't thriving, not doing well. You just watch that happen with, uh, with plants and with uh, gardens. So when this connection with God is broken, we're reminded that God's call on his people to abide as uh, Elena read through that passage, what was the key word? It was abide. It was just over and over and over. God's call to abide in him, to remain with him, to stay connected with him, to be present with him, to walk alongside with him, to always be in proximity with him. His, his call to his people was often shunned by the people. 
And when that connection is broken with the vine dresser, when that connection is broken with the gardener, with the caretaker, no fruit gets produced. It's, it, it, the type of fruit that God is looking for does not get produced because you're not connected to the type of gardener and vine that you're supposed to be in order to produce the fruit that God wants. But here, in this new illustration, we see that Jesus is now the true vine. So Jesus is replacing the people as the vine, and God is still the gardener, he's still the caretaker, but we become the branches. And so I'll explain how, why all of that changed and how that works. But what's important to understand is that in order to live and produce good fruit in our lives, the branches are the ones, uh, are, uh, that's the part of the plant where the fruit hangs from. In order to produce good fruit, we have to remain attached to the vine, and the vine now is Jesus. It's God in the flesh. And we could call this spiritual horticulture. That's what it is. It's using this whole idea of horticultural here. Now, um, I, I was a little nervous about doing this. It seemed to work okay in the first service. We'll see how it works in the second service. Um, is anybody in here old enough, like me, to remember the old Band-Aid jingle on their television commercials? Anybody? I am stuck on Band-Aid, because Band-Aid's stuck on me. I am stuck on Band-Aid, because Band-Aid's stuck on me. I don't know the rest of the words. Anyway. <laughs> I remember those words. I mean, 30 or 40 years later, I still remember those words, right? Okay, here you go. In a sense, Jesus is reminding us of his faithfulness to us as the vine, and therefore, our response should be re to return that faithfulness. In other words, I am stuck on Jesus because Jesus is stuck on me. Now, I know that's so corny. It's so bad. It's so bad. When I was writing it down, I was shaking my head, going, this is awful. It's like I'm in Iowa at camp. It's so campy. It's just terrible. Straight out of Iowa. You know what I'm saying? You know, they'd love this stuff in the Midwest. Okay. Yeah, Nebraska too, right? Yeah, okay. So here you go. It's so bad, though, you'll never forget it. And that's the point. I, we we got to understand this idea of abiding staying stuck with Jesus. So here we go. We're just going to go a verse or two at a time and just pull stuff out. So uh, verse 1, Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. This is the thesis statement for this first relationship teaching that he does, the disciples with Jesus. And Jesus is the vine and the father is the one who cares for the vine. This means that the best place that you and I could ever be in life is attached to the vine. The best place we could ever be is stuck on Jesus. We are the branches. And if you know anything about viticulture, viticulture is the specific part of horticulture that deals with vineyards and vines. If you know anything about it, you know that no fruit that is produced by a branch is stronger or healthier than the vine that produces it. You cannot be a branch that goes out and does your own thing and produces something better than, than what the vine is. And here, remember, Jesus is the vine. And that's why this illustration is so powerful. Jesus is our source. There is no better source. And all other sources of life and power that we tend to put our hope and faith and trust in are going to fail us. And if this sounds a little bit familiar, just different words, it should sound familiar. All of us have false gods. We all have things in this world that, that ultimately pass away that we tend to put our faith, hope, and trust in. Uh, many of you know, because I, I see you out there, 
Many of you know that when I do premarital counseling, the one homework that, that I give you is that I ask each of you separately to go and pray and think about and write down what are your three or four biggest false gods in your life. And you can argue all you want about how, well, they're not really false gods because I still love God best. Well, I'm talking about what's potentially that thing that's going to get in the way of you and your relationship with God. By the way, the reason I do that is because I think churches are generally pretty good about teaching about how idols, false gods, get in the way of our relationship with God. We don't do a good enough job teaching about how idols and false gods get in the way of our relationships with each other. And, and in a marriage, that's particularly important. And so one of the things I'm trying to do is get your future spouse to understand who you are and where some of your trapdoors and weaknesses are. Because that's important because you're being joined together as one flesh and you need to live in that together and be able to help each other and correct each other. Well, here's the thing though. Whenever we have a false god, we're attaching ourselves to something that is eventually going to fail. We have other vines in our life, other false gods, that we tend to attach ourselves to. And they're not helpful. And we need to understand what those are in our life because they're constantly calling for us. They're constantly drawing us. There's just this, it's the flesh. You know, this is the problem in the garden in chapter 3 of Genesis. It's what John reminds us of in his first letter in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. There's this flesh, there's the eyes, there's this pride. All of those things tend to draw us towards these false vines or these false gods. Our founding pastor, Tom, used to say all the time, false gods never fail to fail. Well, false vines never fail to fail either. The problem is we're always attaching ourselves to some vine. Get this. Write this down, you note takers. There is no such thing as a vineless existence. Talked about that last week. Uh, Kostenberger's quote about how people think they're autonomous, but they're really not. You're always attached to something. There is no such thing as a vineless existence. So the question we have to ask ourselves is which vines are we attaching ourselves to? And Jesus is the best vine. And part of why that's true is that God the Father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. Now, I know from talking to many of you, many of you take care of plants at home. You have gardens. You have trees, citrus trees, all that stuff. You take care of things. And, and I want you to just think and consider and contemplate. Uh, as somebody who is a gardener or somebody who is taking care of plants or trees or vines or gardens or whatever it is, what is it that you know instinctively about being a good gardener? You don't have to go to YouTube and watch a, a video on how to be a good gardener. You already know these things instinctively. I'm not saying you shouldn't watch those videos. I'm just saying without watching those videos, you already know that you need to be watchful, right? You need to pay attention. You can't grow something and just not pay, except maybe a weed, which is really just a misunderstood flower. But at any rate, you, you, you got to pay attention. You got to nurture it. You got to nourish it. You got to care for it. You got to provide for it. You got to protect it. And here's the other thing that I think all of us know instinctively we cut off or cut out or, and haul away anything that's dead that's in proximity of that thing that you're trying to grow or anything that's dead that's attached to that thing that you're trying to grow. We have several trees in our backyard and I noticed a couple of weeks ago that there was this one branch that was obviously dead. I'm not going to leave it on there because that death 
has decay and possibly disease in it, and it's going to start sapping from the, you know, the, the live part of the tree isn't going to push life back into that dead part. You've got to remove and cut off that dead part. And then with what's left, what's alive, you also trim and clean up and shape it so that it's healthier and more open and more ready to grow. This is brilliant teaching by Jesus. And then let's not skip past this. I mentioned this before. Jesus is now the true vine. Why true? Well, in the Old Testament, Israel was supposed to be the vine, but this vine, Israel, God's people, constantly rebelled, constantly sinned, and constantly detached themselves from the Father. Jesus is the true vine in that while Israel did not act in harmony with God's call, which his, his call on their life was to be the light of who he is to the rest of the world, and they kept walking away from that. So he, they were not walking in harmony with God, but Jesus does act and walk in perfect harmony with the Father and with his mission and calling. And you know this even from Jesus' teaching. How often does he answer a question by starting with the Father? Here's what the Father's doing, and so I'm emulating the Father. Here's what the Father told me to do, so that's what I'm going to do. He's connected to the Father. He knows the vine dresser is perfect and going to be good for him. And, and that's uh, the gardener. So then look at verses 2 and 3. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The vine dresser, God the Father, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear even more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So here we see the work of the gardener, the vine dresser, essentially two things. A gardener prunes by removing any dead wood, removing anything that never pr will produce anything at all. And then a gardener also cleans by trimming what is left so that it is free to grow and produce and thrive. So a good gardener cuts off and spruces up. And we need to make two points about this pruning. First of all, you and I, honestly, we need to be pruned by God. We need his pruning in our life. Why is that? Because, frankly, we're just not that good at pruning ourselves. We may think we are, but we're not very good at it. And, and, and I know why. I mean, everybody knows why. In the moment, pruning can be painful. It can feel like you're losing something. It can feel like you're taking a step back. It can feel like you're not making progress. Uh, every time we have to trim back the bougainvilleas or some trees or something, uh, Jackie's first reaction is, there's nothing left, and then it grows back so much more beautifully. It's good. It's, it's, like, it's like cutting your hair. It just it, Usually it, it ends up better when you do that. But it, but it feels like a step backward, and so we resist doing it. But God loves us, and so he does the tough pruning work that we're not willing to do. The book of Hebrews calls this discipline, and one of the things that the book of Hebrews teaches us is that while discipline, while it's very difficult in the moment, it isn't done by somebody who doesn't love you. God loves us, and therefore he disciplines us. It's an act of love that he is pruning us. Second of all, you might feel like this sounds really harsh and unfair, even though he loves us, but it's not. The pruning is done for the safety and health of that which can potentially survive and thrive. So there's a, there's a method to this. There's a reason for this. By cutting off dead wood, more strength is given to that which is alive. Therefore, greater fruit is produced. Dead wood carries decay and disease, such as false teaching or demonic influence or sin or betrayal. 
if you think about this teaching in the wake of what has just happened, uh, what, about, what, is, what has just happened with Judas and what is about to happen with him, and then what happens with Peter, you understand that Judas did get cut off, and the rest of the disciples, including Peter, got trimmed up and spruced up. Now, Peter's was a little bit more challenging maybe than the other disciples, but nevertheless, what happened to Peter was done so that he could grow and restore. And, and look at the fruit that pr Peter produced in the book of Acts. It was absolutely incredible, but they had, to, they had to get Judas out of the way because he was an impediment. He was a problem. So Jesus looks at these 11 who are there still with him, and he tells them that they're on their way to being clean because of his word. Today we call it scripture, the Bible, God's word. And here's why God's word helps with our pruning and our trimming. God's word points out sin. It teaches God's wisdom and humility. It inspires a holy life, and it promotes growth. So maybe kind of look at it this way. God's word is fertilizer for our spiritual development and progress. The Holy Spirit is the trowel, turning and churning, digging and rearranging. The church and faith community that we're a part of is the water and oxygen that sustains us when we're dry and fatigued. And Jesus is the protective fence and covering who stands for us, advocates for us, dies for us, defends us, and loves us. Look at verses 4 and 5. Abide me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So here's the big idea. The vine, or the trunk, or the core, or the roots, this is where life flows from. And so we need to remain, or abide, or continue, or be present with we need to stay stuck on Jesus because Jesus is stuck on us. And the life that flows from the vine is the fruit. Uh, Tom, again, our, our founding pastor, used to talk occasionally. And uh, when, when he and his first wife were married, they had this house out in Tempe. And in the backyard were all these uh, citrus trees. And he said they were unbelievable. They just produced all kinds of orange and, and yellow balls of juice, you know, all the time. Um, but every time he would walk out into the backyard, uh, and this is for illustrative purposes only, he wasn't going crazy, but every time he walked out in the backyard, he never heard those citrus tree branches groaning and straining and moaning and crying out in, 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 you know, in effort and in anguish to produce this fruit. They just, they just produced fruit by remaining attached. They just produced this fruit. And then he would say, if we abide in Christ, fruit is inevitable. It's not mandatory. It's inevitable. You abide in Christ. You abide in his love. It's going to change your life. And there's going to be fruit. Here's another way to put it. God is the initiator, and we are the respondents. God initiates. We respond. Now, Honestly, our problem is that we want to be the initiators and we want God to respond. We think that would be much better for us. Amen? Okay. And, and how much straining and screaming and crying and moaning and groaning do we engage in when we're the ones trying to initiate with God and get him to see things our way? You see the difference there. 
That's, that's a huge problem. When we start initiating, that's when we start groaning and straining. But there is some tension here. We need to understand that in our response, we do need to be active. We can't do this passively. We still need to be active. Abiding in Christ, being present with Christ, remaining in Christ is an active endeavor. It's not a passive endeavor. I want you to consider this for a minute. So often we look at our relationship with God and we try to put different rules and manifest different methodologies and strategies for our relationship with God than we have in this world here horizontally, okay? So now just consider this, all right? All of you have, I hope, all of you have friends, right? Okay. Do you abide in your friendships passively or actively? I can tell you, if you're a person who abides in all of your friendships passively, they're probably not lasting very long. And you're going from friend to friend to friend. There is an active component there that is necessary. Now, how about those of you who are married? Do you passively abide in your marriage? I think it's sad to report that there are many people who are married who think that's the way it should be. And then they wonder why their marriage isn't working. They're being passive. Um, do, you, do any of you passively abide in your career? Any of you? Only if you're George Costanza. You know, Seinfeld's on Netflix now. And so it's becoming relevant again. Young people are watching Seinfeld now. I thought my days of using Seinfeld illustrations were over, but they're not. Okay, maybe they are. All right. How about, he's always How about children and parents? Is good parenting a passive endeavor? I certainly hope you don't think so. Otherwise, you're going to have some great pain later on in life. I guarantee you that. Being active is important. So how, how then? How do we actively abide? Uh, three suggestions that are straight out of the Bible. In fact, the first one is straight out of this passage. Number one, get into God's word. Jesus says it right here. You got to get into God's word. Now, I understand. I get it. One of the, one of the conversations we're having um, in in uh, Redemption Central, what we would call Redemption Central, all 10 congregations of redemption. And something that I've noticed even outside of redemption churches everywhere is the level of biblical illiteracy in our world today. And I'm, and I'm not, of course, people outside of the church don't know the Bible. W what's really challenging at times is the number of people who are in the church and for years and years and years, and they don't know, really know the Bible either. That's, that's a challenge. It's one of the reasons why redemption does this verse-by-verse -verse expository preaching. But I also, I, also, I also understand it. The thing I hear the most from people when I say, how are you doing with your Bible reading? The thing I hear the most from people is, well, I, I just don't get it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know where to start. Um, it doesn't make any sense to me. Blah, 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 blah. I understand that. I struggled with that, too, when I be first became a Christian when I was 27. It's... It's put together like no other book anywhere. And, and it's helpful to understand what the purpose of each book is and what the context is. I get all of that. It's challenging. But here's, here's the thing. Let's say one day you decide you really need to start working out. Okay? 
And you go to wherever it is, Orange Theory, LA Fitness, um, CrossFit, whatever it is. Okay, Pure Bar, that's the big one now. Um, anyway, so you go, and you go one time, and you go home, and you're like, what good did this do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's even worse because it makes you sore, okay? And yet we go back, probably because we paid for it. But we go back, okay, <laughs> right? But we go back because we know, we know, we got to go back. We got to go back. We got to push through. We got to go back. But then we come to the Bible and we open it up and we're like, Leviticus, skin disease. I don't get it, you know? <laughs> okay, yeah, of course, okay? Maybe you need some help. And, and it's not so bad to ask for some help. That's what I did. <clears throat> I eventually got to a point early in my Christian walk where I was meeting with two different guys a week for about an hour, and we were just reading scripture together. But here's the thing I made sure of. They were much better at it than I was, and they helped me a lot. And then I discovered Schrader, and then it was all over with. That was, that was all it took, to be honest, our founding pastor. And that was really all it took. So here you go. Make that step. Reach out to somebody. Find somebody. And I'm going to mention two other things. And I'm only mentioning them just as an opportunity. I don't expect anybody necessarily to respond. I just want you to know it's out there. Um, I've started now, and I'm going to do this now. Um, every Tuesday morning, and here's where I'm going to lose some of you, from 6.30 to 7 in the morning, I'm in this room reading scripture out loud, just reading scripture out loud. Now, why would I do that? Here's why. If you read through the Old Testament especially, but through the Bible, you see that the public reading or the out loud reading of scripture is really important and really valued. And we just don't do any of that today. So I'm going to read scripture out loud. Don't expect anybody to come. That's fine. But it's something. And it might, you might be surprised at what you learned by coming. And by the way, this last Tuesday, Zach Hines showed up. So we had, um, I don't know how to figure the percent of one over zero, but we had like an infinite, infinitive percent increase in our attendance. But at any rate, we're doing that. I'm doing that every Tuesday. The other pastors are upset about this because they know I leave town sometimes and they know somebody's going to have to do it. Anyway, I'm doing that every Tuesday, working through the Bible, starting in Proverbs, then Psalms, then the New Testament, then the Old Testament, all that. Like I said, I can't wait to get to Leviticus and talk about skin diseases. That'll be fun. Here's the other thing. Um, we've been trying to figure out as pastors here at Arcadia how to, how to do Wednesday nights effectively. And one of the things that we've decided is that... Um, it, it, it's, it's not the main event. It, we're not even really going to market it. We're, we're, we're not going to have any staff involved in it other than me. We're, we're going to record it. We bought a special recording device that even I can figure out so that we can post it on our website so that it can be podcasted. Um, there's not going to be any food. There's not going to be any child care. Nothing. We're not, no frills. But one of the things that will happen here on Wednesday night is I'm just going to teach through various books of the Bible starting late in January for an hour on Wednesday nights. And it'll be teaching. It'll be discussion, whatever that is. Bring your questions, whatever. Uh, you don't have to be there every week. What we're saying is that God's word is important when it comes to active abiding, and so we, as your church, need to do something about that. And we need to be available to help you with that. So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. You need to get into an RC. If you're not in an RC, if you're not in a small group, 
They're called home groups, small groups, whatever. If you're not in one, you need to get into one. You need to talk to Tyler Thompson, who's in charge of that, and you need to get into one of our groups because there, they also talk about God's word. They also eat, but also you're abiding in each other as well as believers, and you're making connection that way, which also keeps you connected to Jesus. So RCs are really important for this active abiding. And then the third way is to serve. To serve, whatever it is, find whatever it is. If, if, if you're really good at doing this, you can be a greeter, okay? That's all you got to do. You can just greet people and hand them stuff that we give you when you walk in. Uh, children's ministry is always looking for somebody. Uh, Stephanie is always looking for somebody to help with the, the coffee bar. There's all kinds of different ways that you can serve. Alongside ministries, the prison ministry, Hope Women's Center, there's all kinds of ways that you can serve. And the main reason that Jesus calls us to serve is because by serving others, it actually serves us. And we forget that. Um, some of you know my story. I wasn't going to be a pastor when I came out of the marketplace. I was going to be a teacher. And, and when I began 22 years ago to realize that maybe God was calling me into vocational pastoring a, of a church, I made a deal with God. Now, that's where you're supposed to laugh, okay? Start laughing. Anybody who makes a deal with God, okay? But I was good enough to be a pastor. Anyway, um, so I said to him, I said, all right, I'll lead this church as long as I never have to do prison ministry. Because, you know, I was coming out of the marketplace, and prison ministry sounded like a, a lot of work with very little return on investment, if anything. And then three months later, after I became the pastor of this church, here comes this lady asking me to get involved with her son who's in Florence prison, Blah, 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 blah. 22 years later, it's my passion and I'm knee deep in it. Alongside ministries, going down to the complexes pre-COVID, they still haven't let us back in, writing prisoners. And, and here's what I found out about serving prisoners. They serve me more than I serve them. I don't, I don't know how to articulate it. I don't know how to explain it. And I'm not the only one who's ever said it. Joe Ponce, who leads up a lot of our alongside ministry stuff, he says the same thing. I go and I serve them, but really they're serving me. And Jesus is quoted in, in the book of Acts. He's quoted as saying, it is better to do what? To give than to receive we live in a world right now that is obsessed with self-care. Self-care, self-love, self, self, self. Take care of yourself first. That's the only way you can take care of anybody else is if you're first taking care of yourself. You have to get yourself on the right page first. Love yourself first. You have to learn how to do that. You got to forgive yourself. You got to do all this stuff for yourself. And then you can, you got 90-year-old people who have never cared for anybody because they're still trying to figure out how to care for themselves. And that's a problem. The best way to exercise self-care is to start caring for others. That's what Jesus says. And I know that's counterintuitive, but it's also the truth. That's how we can actively abide in Jesus. The Bible, community, and serving. Verse 6. If anyone does not, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. You guys remember um, the storms that we had last summer when you, you go out in the morning and there were tree branches everywhere detached from the trees, and some trees were completely uprooted and pulled out, okay? And, and for a first couple of days, they looked pretty good, right? They looked fine. We just need some duct tape, <laughs> you know? Just reattach it and it'll be fine, okay? 
And then in a week, you could see that there was something wrong and they were starting to die. Here's the thing. They were already dead. But now we're starting to see the evidence that they were dead. And then two or three weeks later, totally dry and barren. And then the city came by, picked them up, and then threw them into the fire. This is not rocket science. If you want nothing to do with God, he's going to oblige you. But one day you'll come to a reckoning. You'll think, gosh, I thought I had life. It even looked like I had life, but I'm in real trouble here. I don't have anything. And, and, and let's understand the reference that he makes to the fire. The fire was a common Old Testament and Jewish symbol for divine judgment. And I know that sounds scary and it sounds harsh, but it's the truth. And even more than that, understand, Jesus actually went and did this for us in our place. So he's not, he's not telling us about anything that he's not going to endure himself on our behalf. He's not somebody living up in a palace somewhere, enjoying all the good things in life, and never having to deal with this himself. He dealt with it himself for us. That's amazing. I'm always, I, I've always been fascinated with those people who think Jesus is all 100% ooey-gooey, fuzzy-wuzzy, and lovey-dovey. Well, this is not quite one of his fuzzy-wuzzy moments. But it is a love moment. He is saying this out of love. It is not loving if he doesn't warn us. You get that? It is not loving if he doesn't warn us. Look at the next three verses, 7 through 9. If you, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So here we go again. God is supposed to give me everything I ask for. I just have to ask for it, everything I want. Not quite. We've been through this already a couple times earlier in John, and one very recently. Notice the condition that we see here that Jesus gives us. His word must abide in us. His love must abide in us. Then we'll know what to ask for. This is called alignment. I don't know, I remember if it was last week or the week before, but we talked about alignment. You have to be in alignment with him. There's, there's, a, there's a pretty common prayer that I think is really helpful. I've prayed it myself. I've heard other pray, people pray it. The prayer goes like this. God, please give my heart a yearning for the things that your heart is yearning for. That's called alignment. That's aligning with him. Merrill Tenney, the great uh, New Testament scholar, puts it this way. To remain in Christ means a conscious acceptance of his word as authoritative, which leads to prayers aligned with his will. And verse 8 says it. Part of the fruit that we will produce by abiding in Christ is that we will pray prayers that align with him. And then look at verses 10 and 11, the last two verses. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I, has kept, as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that you, uh, your joy may be full. Now, just look at the progression that we see in these verses. And I'll just summarize it for you. Abide in Jesus. Abide in his word. Abide in his love. Abide in his new commandment. And the result is joy. This is radical, bonkers thought. It just is. Obedience to God leads to joy. So counterintuitive. 
Well, I got to go obey God. <laughs> Hope it works out okay. Everything in the Gospels has been telling us. You read through the Gospels. Obey God. It's going to lead to something really good. Something called joy. Okay? And remember, joy isn't necessarily circumstantial. That's happiness. Joy is based on a relationship. It's an understanding of what's really going on to us. And notice that Jesus ends up talking about this first relationship, the disciples with him, with the principle of abiding, not just in him, but in his love, which leads perfectly into next week and the relationship that we start with next week, which is the disciples with each other. So now I want to just wrap up these 11 verses by asking this question. So where does all this start? Where does this abiding start? And I'm really glad you asked me because I think I have an answer. Okay? And here's the key. It's really basic. It's really fundamental, but it's really important. It's essential. And, and it's something that you should go back to. I should go back to all the time. It's, it's understanding who God is and who we are. It's just that simple. Understand who God is. Understand who we are. God is holy. We are not. That's the beginning of everything. That's the beginning of wisdom right there. And even though the culture tells us that we're basically good and our hearts are above reproach, the truth is we're in trouble because we're naturally in rebellion to God because of our sin. Our sin has separated us from God, and there's nothing that we can do to fix that separation. We can't be good enough. We can't work it off. And that eventually leads us to being eternally cut off from God, and that's what Scripture explains to us. But the Scripture is all about the good news aspect, too. It gives us the bad news, yes, but it gives us the good news, too. Scripture also explains that there's a way to be redeemed from this state of being separated from God. God sent his son Jesus to be the perfect offering for the atonement of our sin and the substitute. He goes to the cross. He suffers God's wrath. We receive his righteousness. It's an amazing transition. It's an amazing transaction. That's what Jesus did for us. He went to the cross. Three days later, he was raised. We get to be new creations because of that, our sin forgiven. And in the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, he states it simply, and this is where we get our start. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then Paul also reminds us in that same letter, and this is huge. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. No loophole. No exception. And we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We come to Christ, no condemnation. We are sealed forever and ever and ever. And then God does, I mentioned this last week, and then God does something that we would never do to ourselves or for ourselves. Josh Miles talks about this all the time. God calls us his sons and daughters. God calls us beloved. He calls us holy. And he calls us righteous. Not because we're great, but because Jesus is great and we're in him. The vine and the branch. That's the gospel. That's the good news. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I can't think of a better day than today. And there's people all over here that you can talk, you can talk to the person who brought you. And, and if you didn't come with a person, then 
the Holy Spirit brought you in here, so you can talk to him. But you can talk to one of us. You can talk to any of the staff. You can talk to any of the deacons or elders that are here and available. And you can ask questions, whatever you need. Talk to us, though. It's the most important thing you'll ever do in your life. It's the greatest thing I ever did in my life. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word and its truth, and we thank you for what you've done for us by becoming incarnate, enfleshed. You've come in the flesh, 100% God, 100% human, to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to you. God, thank you for that. And now I just pray that we would have the courage to live that out, to abide in you, to actively seek you through your word, through community, and through service. God, help us to do that. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to have a time of uh, reflection, response. We're going to do a song and a half, I was told. So, or maybe just a really long song. Okay, yeah, something like that. Anyway, so kind of one song to go. But during that time, we're going to take communion. We have the communion stations here. We're still doing the kits. We, are now, we have now entered into conversation about transitioning someday back to bread and the juice and wine. It'll happen someday, all right? But we got the kits. Come, come down the center aisle, break off, take your kits back to, the, uh, to your seat. When you're ready, take the elements. And then when you're ready, stand, if you can, and join us uh, in the rest of the song. We do this because uh, Jesus wants us to be reminded of his death until he comes again. The body, uh, the, the bread, the wafer representing his body, the juice, the wine representing the blood of the new covenant, which was shed for our forgiveness. And when we do that, It's two things. We're confessing our need for him and we're celebrating the fact that we have him. It's a beautiful thing, so let's do that now.
darkness we were waiting without hope without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the
Thank you, Frank, for that wonderful message and that call to salvation. Thank you, worship team, for the beautiful response of worship. I want to read, thank all of you for being here to abide with Christ together. What a beautiful day. I want to read our benediction out of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. It says this, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go and live all of life.